Well, good morning, everyone. I invite you to open your Bible to Romans chapter 4. Those who are joining us online, we encourage you to get your Bible, follow along with us. And we're in the book of Romans chapter number 4. Those who are guests with us, we've been in Romans for several uh, weeks and months and will continue to be so. And uh, so we're just walking through this great book written by the Apostle Paul to the church at home, Rome while he's in Corinth, inspired by the Holy Spirit. These writings are preserved for us by the Holy Spirit. They're kept in God's infallible, inerrant word for our instruction, amen? And so it is relevant as today's morning paper, or more relevant, actually, and is life-changing. It is the word of God, God-breathed, God-inspired. And we are looking into the word of God today for our instruction, asking the Holy Spirit to teach us and, uh, and asking the Lord to help us to understand great truth. God's got a word for you today. How many of y'all believe that? Raise your hand. All right. The rest of you, I'm praying for you right now. Okay. And so tell your neighbor, God's got a word for you today. He does have a word for you today, a word from his word. And so today... I want you to be encouraged in that. The Spirit of God is with us. He, where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in our midst. The Holy Spirit is here. The Lord is with us. And the Lord is speaking to our hearts today. That encourages me greatly. It should all of us. Amen. And so today... We are going to look into God's word, Romans chapter number four, beginning with verse number nine. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then, or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say, faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? It was not while he was circumcised, but uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision as a seal of the righteousness that he had by faith, while still uncircumcised. This was to make him the father of all who believe, but are not circumcised, so that righteousness may be credited to them also. And he became the father of the circumcised, who are not only circumcised, but also following the footsteps of the faith our father Abraham had while he was still uncircumcised. Heavenly Father, we pray that today that you would speak to us through your word. We're listening, Father. Holy Spirit of God, we ask you to do business in our lives. Father, I pray that you would comfort us in our grief, that you would console us, that you would strengthen us. Holy Spirit, we ask that you convince us of the truth. We ask you to convict us of our sin. We ask that you convert us to live a life of obedience to you. Father, we ask that the name of Jesus Christ would be lifted high. Father, we pray that with golden chains of grace you would draw us 
to the cross and to grace. And Father, that we would understand that you have saved us not by any merit of our own, but in the accomplished work of your Son and by your great grace. O oh, Father, today, if there's someone here that does not know Christ as Savior, I pray that today they might turn from sin, turn from self-trust, turn from religion, and turn to Jesus alone. It's in his name I pray. Amen. Now today we're going to talk about the ritual of circumcision and then our justification. What is the purpose of religious ritual? And so Paul addresses this issue, and so we're going to look at it together in this passage in Romans. And so stay with me today as we're in Romans chapter 4. Understand Paul's argument. The just live by faith. We are, it is, Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Our only hope is found in Jesus Christ and that we are lost without him. We cannot be saved by the law. And as, as a matter of fact, in chapter 3, verse number 21, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been revealed, attested by the law and the prophets. Chapter 3, verse 22, the righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there's no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They were justified freely by his grace through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Jews and Gentiles, Paul has demonstrated for us, are locked up underneath sin. We are shut up under sin. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Gentiles, idol worshipers, pagans are lost without Christ. And their only hope is Jesus Christ. Also, those who are religious and those that are legalist and those that are judgmental and the Jews themselves who had the law are shut up underneath sin also because they're all lawbreakers too. And we are all sinners, and we have no way to save ourselves. And we are saved by grace through faith. You can't earn your way or work your way to heaven. Now, Paul illustrates these truths in chapter number four. And so he uses first, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Abraham is the first illustration. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. So it was Abraham trusting in, believing in God. The second person he illustrates this great truth is, is David, King David. And he says the mightiest and greatest of the kings, the leader, David, was shut up under sin himself. He, was, he had no basis of self-justification. He was condemned, yet God blessed him and forgave him and covered his sin and did not impute sin to him because David repented at the preaching of the prophet and God did a saving work in David's heart. Not the base, on the basis of his works, but on God's grace. So now... We come to chapter number four and the next section that we're looking at, and it deals with circumcision. You see, we are made right by the work of God for us. 
And Paul can almost hear the Jewish argument in his mind, understanding the way they would think him being a Jew and a rabbi and a student of Jewish theology. He said, the idea is, but what about circumcision? I mean, circumcision is something that God gave us. It set us apart from as his covenant people. And it's an act that we do. Does not that act somehow make us more right with God? Because we understand that the uncircumcised are cut off from the people of God. And this is exactly what the human heart wants to do. We want to run away from free grace and we want to try to justify ourselves. We want somehow or another for it to be about our performance, our goodness, our works, something that we have done to deserve God's favor. And truth of the matter is, there's not one thing that you can do to deserve God's favor. It's God's grace. You're not good enough to earn heaven. You're certainly not pretty enough to go to heaven. You're not clean enough. You're not pure enough. It's not because of your race, your ethnicity, your language, your learning. Because we're all lost. But the human heart wants to reject free grace. And we want to justify ourselves. We want to prove we've earned our standing and privilege before God. It's like the girl that went to church and got saved and came home. She, she said, Papa, Papa, I got saved today. He said, well, how did that happen? She said, well, I, I did my part and God did his part. He said, oh, explain that to me. She said, I did all the sinning and he did all the saving. <laughs> That's exactly right. We can't earn our way or save ourselves. A lawyer came to Jesus and he said to him, teacher, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be right? Jesus said, what does the law say? He said, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength, to love your neighbors yourself. He said, you've answered correctly. Do that and you will live. But wishing to justify himself. Oh, isn't that the issue? Because he knew in his heart he didn't love Samaritans. He didn't love other people. He didn't love his neighbors himself. But he wanted to justify himself. And that is exactly the condition of man. We always want to justify ourselves. That's always what we attempt to do. And when we do that, it shows itself in our legalism and judgmentalism. It's self-justification. Secondly, it shows up in our pride. We think we're above others. It shows up in our self-loathing and self-condemnation. It shows up in our performance mentality. That somehow I'm earning a right standing with God. Many, many years ago, I received, used to receive a journal that would come periodically. and It's a journal, journal about ministry. Uh, it was published by Christianity Today. And in Leadership Journal, there was, a, there was always filled with some great little cartoons that were 
interesting. I'll never forget this one little cartoon. It showed this long line of people outside of the gates of heaven in the clouds. And you see the people all turning and rejoicing as they were sharing the information down the line. And the caption below said, he's not counting Wednesday night. He's not. <laughs> As if it's a scorecard to earn our way to heaven. But it's not. It's not about a feeling you have, whether you're good enough. I, I, in counseling, I, sometimes we deal with this feeling. I don't feel good enough. I don't feel saved. I don't feel... It's not about your feelings. You could have had a bad taco last night. And sometimes it's about my disappointment, my discouragement. I disapprove of the way God is at work. It's not about you. I was texting through Messenger with some of our Ukrainian partners. And one of my Ukrainian pastor friends, and we've you know, been to Ukraine multiple times and developed relationships there. And I was able to text with Sergei. I told him I was praying for him and his family, for his church. He said, thank you so much for that. I told him we'd be praying for him today in our services. He said, thank you so much for that. But pray that we will stand boldly and preach Jesus like never before. He said, because this is a great day of salvation. What faith. The Lord can set you free. Would you be free? From your burden of sin, there's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Would you or evil a victory win? There's wonderful power in the blood. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. I'm telling you, God can set you free, change your life. Hmm. Would you be whiter? Much whiter than snow? There's power in the blood. There's power in the blood. Sin stains are lost in its life-giving flow. There's wonderful power in the blood. There's power, power. Wonder-working power in the blood of the Lamb. There's power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. 
So let's look at Paul's text and argument. So look with me today to the fourth chapter in verse 9. Is this blessing only for the circumcised then? Or is it also for the uncircumcised? For we say, this is what we teach, faith was credited to Abraham for righteousness. In what way then was it credited? While he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Hmm. Well, when was it credited? When he was uncircumcised, right? And he becomes the father of all who believe. That is his argument. So today this helps us to understand about religious ritual and the ritual of circumcision, but also other religious rituals we'll talk about today. And notice it is a symbol of covenant promise. It is not saving in its effect itself, but it's a symbol of covenant promise. Notice what he says in verse number 11, he received the sign. It's a sign, it is a symbol. Now, when did God give the symbol or when did he give the sign? Well, this is Paul's argument, isn't it? Now, if you look with me, you're going to need your Bible. So we'll look to the book of Genesis in chapter number 15, verse 2. But Abram said, Lord God, what can you give me since I'm childless and heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? He said, we don't have any children. Sarah can't bear a child. And you've promised that you'll make my name great. Listen to what he says. Look. You gave me no offspring, so a slave born in my house will be my heir. I have no heir but the people that work for me. Verse 4, now the word of the Lord came to him. This one will not be your heir. Instead, the one who comes from your own body will be your heir. That's the promise. Verse 5, look at the sky, count the stars. If you're able to count them, your offspring will be that numerous. It means you'll have a great multitude, unable to count them all. Verse 6, Abraham believed the Lord and he credited him as righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was credited him to righteousness. Verse 18, chapter 15, verse 18, on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham. It was on that day on that day, he believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now, in chapter 17, verse number one, notice it says, when Abram was 99 years old, that's 14 years later than chapter 15. 14 years later, he receives a sign. I am the Lord God, live in my presence and be blameless. I will set up my covenant between me and you and I will multiply you greatly. Verse three, Abraham fell face down and God spoke with him. As for me, here is my covenant with you. You will become the father of many nations. Your name will no longer be Abram. Your name will be Abraham for I will make you a father of many nations. I will make you extremely fruitful and make nations and kings come for you. I will come from you. I will confirm my covenant that's between me and you and your future offspring, your seed throughout their generations. It's a permanent covenant to be, it is a permanent covenant to be your God and the God of your seed after you. Through verse seven. So notice in verse number 10, 
of chapter 17. Notice this symbol, this sign, this seal. This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and not your offspring. Verse 13, whether born in your own household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a permanent covenant. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. Wow. The sign or the symbol was given 14 years later in the cutting of the flesh. It's a sign. A sign is, listen, a sign is something lesser that points to something greater. The sign is not equal to the covenant relationship. The sign points to it. If there was a sign, it says 18 miles to downtown St. Louis. That would be about right from here. That sign would say 18 miles, you'll see the arch. But that's just the sign to this pointing to the substance. The sign is pointing to a relationship. Don't substitute the sign for the relationship. The people did this. They equated circumcision with Moses and the law and keeping the law. And Jesus reminds them it wasn't Moses. It was, it was Abraham, our father, that first was circumcised. But it is a sign. And it happened... And the covenant promise was given when Abraham was not circumcised. Number two, it is a demonstration of obedient faith. Now, there is importance and power in the symbol of the sign. And notice in, in Genesis chapter 17, that is a demonstration of obedient faith. You see, he believed God and it, it was credited to him as righteousness. And that belief showed himself in his obedience. In verse number 23, it says, Abraham took his son Ishmael, those born in his household or purchased, every male among the members of Abraham's household. Now, I'm certainly there might have been some pause or objection. You can only imagine flint knife. 13-year-old boy, you're going to, what, dad? Seriously? Yes. God has spoken. Can we double check on that? No, no, God has spoken. And Abraham took the lead. Notice verse 24. He was 99 years old when, when the flesh of his foreskin was circumcised. And Ishmael was 13. And all the men of his household, verse 27, it was an act of obedience. The covenant came first, 
The relationship first, the righteousness first, and then the sign, and then the covenant symbol. It's a demonstration of obedience. And how did he prove his obedience? By doing what God told him to do. How do we prove our faith? Let's think about us as believers, as Christians. Yes, we say that we believe in Jesus, but we trust in Jesus. How does that show itself in your life? Faith without works, James says, is dead. And, And so when Peter preaches, Peter understood, and Peter is preaching the gospel, what does he tell them to do? What is their response in the day of Pentecost? In chapter 2 of Acts, in verse number 38, listen what the scripture says. Peter preached, he replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, for the promises for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord your God shall call. He says, God is calling, God is speaking, Christ died, Christ rose again, you are sinful, you crucified him. What should we do? Repent, turn. Repentance is not a work that earns your salvation. It's a response of your faith that you turn from sin and turn to God. But you don't earn it. It's God's grace in you. But there's a response. In chapter 2 of Acts, in verse number 41, those who accepted his message were baptized. And that day, 3,000 people were added to them. They were baptized. They call on the Lord. They trust in his word and they are baptized. Why would you not be baptized? Some of you are sitting here this morning, you've never been baptized. Why would you not be baptized? Why do you say, Lord, Lord, and do not do the things that I say? Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There is no reason in the world that you should not be baptized if you are trusting Jesus as your Savior. To refuse to be baptized calls into question because it's an obedient act of faith. The only good excuse I can think for not being baptized is somehow you're hanging on a cross today and can't get off. Or there's absolutely no water or there's no one to baptize you. In Acts chapter three, verse number 19, Peter's preaching again, he says, therefore repent, turn back to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that seasons of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, that he may sing Jesus is appointed to you as Messiah. So repentance and faith are the two, the two sides to the same coin and the same thing. It's, it's not a work, it's a work of grace in you. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, very interesting thing that's recorded 
to us by Luke, it says, the word of God spread the disciple in the, among the disciples in Jerusalem. They increased greatly in number. It says, and a large, I love this, a large group of priests became obedient. Notice the word obedient to the faith. Huh. You see, there was a vast number of people turning to Christ, but a, Luke records for us a huge number of priests. Why? I think that the priests were so close to the sacrifices that with every lamb, every sacrifice, every bull or goat, with every sacrifice, they saw that that was innocent animal blood, but they knew animals could not redeem. It must be the blood of a perfect man. And priests saw it had to be Jesus. <laughs> but they were obedient. That means it wasn't faith that just acknowledged the facts. It was alignment to what he called us to do. Not to earn our salvation. But a sign. An obedience to God. Isn't that what Ananias told Saul of Damascus to do when the Lord brought him to his knees and he was brought into Damascus because he couldn't even see? And the 22nd chapter of Acts, I know we're all over the Bible today. Acts chapter 22, verse number 16. Ananias says, and why are you delaying, Saul? Get up, be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on his name. God had called him. God had knocked him to his knees. God had revealed, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. He says, you go into Damascus, be told you what to do. Ananias comes and he, he's healed, receives his sight, preaches to him, again, more clarifies to him more clearly. God has revealed himself. Christ has revealed himself. Now get up, be baptized, call on his name, gloriously saved. Have you called on his name? Have you repented of your sin? Have you trusted in Jesus alone? Have you been baptized? And baptism doesn't save you. Amen. But every born again believer needs to be baptized. Amen. It's not an option. It's obedience. Number three, it's a mark of identity. In Exodus chapter 12, verse 44, Eight. If you look with me in your Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter 12, and verse number 48. If an alien resides among you and wants to observe the Lord's Passover, every male in his household must be circumcised, and then he may participate 
He will become like a native of the land, but no uncircumcised person may eat it. What, 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 what is this? He's saying, if you are adhering to what we believe about God, then receive this mark as a testament to your faith. Huh. It's a mark of identity with God, with obedience to God, and with God's people. In the book of Joshua, chapter number five, we are all over the Bible today, aren't we? So in Joshua chapter 5, an interesting story. The children of Israel had practiced circumcision in Egypt, certainly, but, um, and they, the children of Israel, though, in the whole 40 years of wandering, and while they were on journey and pilgrimage, quit practicing circumcision. And this was a reproach against the nation. And as they're entering into the promised land, the Lord tells Joshua, you need to take care of this matter. So in the fifth chapter, chapter, verse number two, at that time, the Lord said to Joshua, make flint knives and circumcise the Israelite men again. So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the Israelite men at Gibeath ha Araloth. I'll let you pronounce it. And this is the reason Joshua circumcised them. All the people who came out of Egypt, who were males, all the men of war, had died in the wilderness along the way after they'd come out of Egypt. And though all the people who came out were circumcised, none of the people born in the wilderness along the way were circumcised after they came out of Egypt. So the Israelites wandered in the wilderness 40 years until the nation's men of war who came out of Egypt had died had died off because they did not obey the Lord. So the Lord vowed never to let them see the land that he had sworn to their ancestors to give us a land flowing with milk and honey. They were disobedient, remember? And a whole generation did not go into the promised land. And he raised up their sons in their place. It was these that Joshua circumcised. They were still uncircumcised since they had not been circumcised along the way. And they stayed there until they recovered at that camp. And the place was called Gilgal, which means roll or to roll off or to roll away. And so it's interesting. It was, it was a place where God's people are reminded that they are God's people and that they are in a covenant relationship. And it was an identifying, distinguishing mark. It was a physical reminder of who we are, that we are owned by God. Sign, it is not only a sign that points to, but it, it's received in us that helps us understand we're owned by. We are owned by God. Martin Luther who struggled mightily toward the end of his life with doubts and discouragement and depression, wrote some of his darkest things in those dark days. And in those dark, dark days, he wrote, one day on paper, 
and just said again and again to himself, Baptizatus sum. But I have been baptized. Meaning, in the days that I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, he looked back to his baptism and said, I am God's. He owns me. Isn't that a good word? Baptism does not save you. Quickly, I need to move on. It doesn't save you. Neither does circumcision save you. It does not accomplish, nor does it complete your salvation. This is what Paul is helping us to understand. So in the fourth chapter of Romans, he says, this is when Abraham received this sign, this seal, but it was when he was uncircumcised. And indeed, he becomes the father, and his whole argument is, not only of us who are circumcised and believe, but he's also a father to the uncircumcised who believe because it's faith in Jesus Christ that makes us right with God, not an outward sign. You see, the circumcision that needs to happen in us is a deep and inward circumcision within us. Amen? Now, do you have, I know you do, look with me to Deuteronomy chapter number 10 and verse number 12. Deuteronomy 10 and verse 12. I'll just read it off the screen. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you except to fear the Lord your God by walking in all his ways, to love him, to worship the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Back, can we back that screen up just a moment? Notice that's the language of relationship, right? To love him, to walk with him, to worship him with what? all your heart and your soul. He doesn't want perfunctory religion or just ceremonial rites. The next verse, keep the Lord's commands and statutes I'm giving you today for your own good. The heavens indeed, the highest heavens, belong to the Lord your God as does the earth and everything in it. Yet the Lord had his heart set on your ancestors and loved them. And he chose their descendants after them. And he chose you out of all the peoples as it is today. Therefore, God's election of you, God's choosing of you, God's saving of you. First, circumcise your hearts. It's your heart. Don't be stiff-necked any longer. For the Lord your God is the God of gods, the Lord of lords, the great and mighty, the all-inspiring God, showing no partiality and taking no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the resident alien, giving them food and clothing. And you are to love the resident alien since you were resident aliens in the land of Egypt. Love, love. You're to fear the Lord your God and worship him, remain faithful to him and take oaths in his name. He is your praise. He is your God. And he has done for you these great and awe-inspiring works your eyes have seen. 
It's not about going through religion. It is about a relationship with God, loving him and loving one another. To love God and love your neighbors yourself. On this hang all the law and the prophets. Amen. You see, we do not believe in baptismal regeneration either. That somehow being baptized causes you to be born again. The order is important. You believe. You call on his name. And then believers are baptized. Amen? I was baptized when I was a little boy, actually. I was remember being in a revival meeting where my father was preaching. And I was just six years old. I remember feeling a sense of guilt and shame about my own life. I remember stepping out in a service in an altar call during the service and my father met me and we knelt together and prayed. And I asked the Lord to forgive me and to save me. I was baptized again. I was baptized then when I was a boy, six years old. I didn't know, I wandered far away from the Lord. I wondered and doubted whether I was really saved. And at 17 years old, God did a radical work of grace in my life. And I began to wonder whether or not I was actually saved when I was a boy or I was saved as a teenager. Has anybody else ever had that kind of confusion in their life? I'm not the only one. And so I began to think about maybe I got this thing out of the wrong order because maybe I was baptized before I was saved. And so you know how that goes. I was perplexed about it enough that I asked my dad about it. And he said, well, son, we can do it again if you feel that that's what we want to do. I'm not a proponent of being baptized multiple times. Every time you get messed up and sin, you need to get rebaptized. I don't believe that that is right. But I do think the order is important. So I was baptized again at 17 years old. I tell folks I've been double dipped. <laughs> but I want you to know one thing that the baptism didn't save me. Amen. It's Jesus Christ. Yes, and it's an outward Right, and the next point that symbolizes an inward reality. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter number nine, do you have your, oh, we've been, look with me to Jeremiah. In chapter number nine, verse 25, all of these scripture verses are found in the notes on the app or in the website under resources with the sermon outline. In chapter number nine of Jeremiah, in verse number 25, the, look, the days are coming, this is the Lord's declaration, when I will punish all the circumcised yet uncircumcised. Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammonites, Moab, the inhabitants of the desert, who clipped their hair on their temples, all these nations are uncircumcised. 
Now, many of these nations practiced circumcision, but they're uncircumcised. And then he says, and the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in heart. They're circumcised in their flesh, but not their heart. You see, God wants to change your heart. We're going to skip some of the other the verses uh, and we're going to jump to Colossians chapter 2 and verse number 9. Colossians chapter 2 verse number 9 for the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised. How? It where? In where? In him. With a circumcision not done with what? Hands. By putting off of the body of the flesh in the circumcision of Christ. That's where your circumcision took place. In Jesus Christ. All believers are to be baptized, but they're not required to be circumcised. Circumcision and baptism are not exactly the same thing. So let's don't go there. That's not true. They're different, but they are right. It is a religious symbol. And so understand our salvation. For the Jews, they wanted to teach Gentiles, go back, be more, gen- be more Jewish, be circumcised, remember some of the law. And Paul said, no way. If you do that, then you've abandoned grace. Amen. So don't do that. Galatians chapter five, verse number one, this is his whole argument. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Don't be submitted again to a yoke of slavery. Take note, I, Paul, telling that if you get yourself circumcised, Christ will not benefit you at all. Again, I testify to every man who gets himself circumcised, he's obligated to do the entire law. You're trying to be justified by the law. You're alienated from Christ. You've fallen from grace. For we eagerly wait through the Spirit by hope, the faith of righteousness, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What matters is faith working through love. Amen. So our salvation is found in him. When we're to be baptized, yes, we're identifying with him. In the likenesses of death, we're raised to live a new life. Because we're in Christ. We're clothed in Christ. We've trusted in him. And we are his people. I am so out of time. I want us to look at a poem, a hymn today. The first was sung among the Moravians, authored the poetry by Count Zinzendorf first. Wesley took it and made it a hymn. 
And I printed it today because I want you to look at the beauty of the poem. Where is our righteousness found? Jesus, thy robe of righteousness, my beauty is, my glorious dress. Midst flaming worlds in this arrayed, with joy shall I lift my head. Bold shall I stand in thy great day, for who ought to my charge shall lay? Who will charge anything against me? Fully through thee absolved I am from sin and fear, from guilt and shame. When from the dust of death I rise to claim my mansion in the skies, this only then shall be my plea. Jesus has lived and died for me. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Amen? Amen. Father in heaven, I thank you so much for your word, your power, the truth. Lord, if there's one person here that doesn't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray that today they might turn from sin and trust in him. Oh, Father, have your way in our hearts and our lives. Spirit of God, draw us to the cross. Humble us. Give us grace to repent, faith to believe. And oh God in heaven, cause us to be born again, circumcised in the heart. In Jesus' name, amen.